Welcome to the Dental Code Advisor Podcast, brought to you by Practice Booster. I'm your host, Dr. Greg Grobmeyer. Practice Booster is the dental industry's trusted source for dental coding, administration, medical dental cross-coding, and documentation resources. Practice Booster works hand-in-hand with the American Dental Association to provide dental practices and their teams with the most current information to maximize legitimate reimbursement and minimize risk. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and the information contained in this podcast has been researched as of the publishing date and is not to be considered legal advice or a guarantee of insurance reimbursement. Now join me and let's get started. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Dental Code Advisor podcast. I'm Dr. Greg Grobmeyer. I'm your host today. And uh, we have the pleasure of a guest today. Uh, it's Dominique Fafidio. She is a, uh, a practicing dentist or has been. She's a fellow of the American Academy of General Dentistry, uh, the CEO and founder, main coach at Fafidio Consulting Group. And she specializes in a unique coaching offering, one that's focused specifically on understanding the dental insurance claim review process. And she's got a lot of experience and background in that. She's established herself as a successful fee-for-service private practice owner, a top-performing dental claim reviewer, a dental artificial intelligence co-creator, and is now on a mission to bring clinical alignment to dental providers and dental insurance payer market, while all serving as the director of specialty services at Apex Dental Partners out of Dallas, Texas. And so, uh, great background. She's got you know experience clinically, experience as a claim reviewer, and then actually working, creating this artificial intelligence uh, that is is being used by payers across the nation now on the regular. And that's the thing we're going to dig in today. So thank you, Dominique, for joining us. And I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you, Greg. I'm so happy to be here. And I hope you don't mind me calling you Greg on air here. We're all friends. No, no, that's totally right. We're all friends here. But uh, we're going to dig in and just kind of talk about AI and its effects on the dental payer side of things and why we should care. Okay, that's that's one of the biggest things. I pulled some statistics from the uh, NADP. Artificial intelligence is becoming more and more mainstream as the from the payer side. About 30% of payers are currently using AI in their radiograph review now, but that's expected to increase to well over half, about 56%, implementing within the next two years. 21% are using AI in other areas of claim processing with about half planning on implementing that in the next two years. 75% of electronic claims and 50% of paper claims are being auto adjudicated right now. And so that's, uh, that's been something that's been going on for a while, but the use of AI is really increasing this and it does affect how dental offices and dental practices should be uh, doing their claims. There are certain things they need to be thinking about and things that they need to be working into their processes when they're going towards claim submission. So uh, just from your experience, what are some of the ways that AI is streamlining this clinical claim review process? Well, I love your enthusiasm and I love that question. It, it, the numbers you gave, they're just what, um, 
what it does. I mean, you said 30% of payers are using it for radiograph interpretation. Of course, AI can help with that. But I was surprised to only hear the 30% because I'm used to hearing about the other 20% that we're using for administrative and clerical um, uses and the 70% where we're auto adjudicating claims. AI is wonderful. It's not just taking x-rays and highlighting things and bringing it to the forefront for the provider to see or the um, insurance, in this case, the insurance claim reviewer to see. It takes subjectivity out of the clinical claim review process, but it adds so much efficiency to a payer's workflow. We can actually pull images and attachments from NEA, from Vine, from Dental Exchange, rather than having a clinical claim reviewer have to go to each one of these different sites under a different login for every single payer, um, different browser tabs, it's all pulled into one user interface. That was my favorite thing. And I think that it was um, under, not underutilized, but it wasn't talked about because some of the co-creators or the creators of this artificial intelligence and these products, they don't have that clinical claim reviewing background, which is a very slow process. Like you said, 70% of claims are auto adjudicated and payers want to auto adjudicate because it's expensive to have these claims reviewed by a human, to have someone actually look at it and they have to pay by claim. And these claim reviewers, you're spending a large amount of time trying to just find all the information you need to make a determination. So with AI, we can pull in all of the information to one portal, one user interface, and then we can take the extra x-rays and they can be cropped, rotated, oriented, presented to the claim reviewer with highlights, fluorescence in a way that can make this process so much faster. I can't say how fast I was as a claim reviewer when it came to an individual service line, but when I was co-creating and um, doing all the audits on our machine learning algorithms and the rules that we were applying to actually co-create these artificial intelligence project um, products, it was less than 60 seconds to do a review for a single claim line because wow. right they were just That's so pretty amazing yeah uh, you, you talk about that you talk about you know you actually were in the process of of creating the kind of the if then statements the inputs that were happening to ai you know the things that you're looking for when you're looking at a claim you were a part of uh the decision making of what should be looked for in different circumstances and what what are some of those things because that is things that that dental practices need to be sure to include in their claims i know that a lot of times we we teach when doing buildups that you know to make sure that it's saying that the crown uh, was necessary or the buildup was necessary for the retention of the crown and you know that there are certain keywords and things like that so what are some of the rules or if-then statements uh, mm -hmm. that you were writing for uh, the AI? Mm -hmm. So great question. It's what I spent most of my time doing because the machine learning algorithms, they're learning how to identify and detect certain, um, certain features, but then we have to do something with them. So it does become, if we detect a root canal, then this. If we detect uh, for instance, two millimeters of bone loss on four plus teeth or more in an, in a quadrant, then we allow that 4341. Uh, to your example about using the narrative, a lot of it is applied initially to the radiograph. And then from there, looking at the narrative and seeing are there specific terms that are in there that look as if it's an authentic narrative, like you were saying, um, 
was there enough tooth structure missing that the buildup was required for crown retention? A lot of it is more quantitative though, where we're actually evaluating how much tooth structure is compromised, how much decay is there, what's the size of that existing filling. And that's where the if-then statements are coming in, where we're saying if um, the amount of compromised tooth structure is 33%, then allow the crown. And that 33% is what the payers were actually determining. What I would do is I would normally take a batch of their claims and I would see what their historical review of that claim was. And then I was able to actually tell them, it seems like your threshold is about 33%, 40%. And we would go through examples and say, how would you like this claim reviewed if it was presented to you? And that's how we would set their threshold. It was very consistent, but yet um, slightly nuanced across all the payers. But when it comes to bone loss on x-rays, two millimeters is what we were seeing across the board. And the if-then statements become very simple because a machine is black and white, black or white. It's, is it there or is it not? And right. then artificial intelligence is not saying we would ever recommend a denial, but if we cannot accept or generate an acceptance off of the information, we would send it to clinical review. So that way someone could actually review the findings and see is this a claim that needs to be put in front of a claim reviewer to make the actual final decision or recommendation? Absolutely. So that's that's a good distinction to make, that it's not all completely on a computer saying yes or no, but it's kind of the computer is saying, does this need to proceed at this point? Do we have all the initial information that um, meets certain criteria and requirements that are outlined in our plan document? Is it going to check all the check boxes for this to proceed in the claims review process? And so, but that um, you spoke to that two millimeter thing, that's, that's a critical piece of information. If you're not sending in good diagnostic quality radiographs from the beginning, uh, if they are foreshortened in any way, things like that, it's going to skew uh, the ability of the, uh, AI to look for that. It's, you know, you may be uh, shooting yourself in the foot by not having a, a perfectly perpendicular radiograph that you're taking uh, that's going to make your pocket depths look less than they actually are. Uh, we've seen kind of a little bit of an uptick in claim denials for SRP just because, you know, potentially because of, of that particular issue. So, having quality documentation, making sure that the correct verbiage is in the narrative, things like that. That's uh, that's all amazing information. You outlined it so well. Dr. Fafidio recently uh, wrote a fantastic article for our insurance uh, solutions newsletter, which outlined a lot of the things that were being looked for in the claims processing of uh, SRP. And so uh, be sure to look for that and read about uh, that in that, uh, uh, edition that's, that's, uh, that's coming out now and, um, uh, pick up a lot more of that information about the specifics that they're looking for. But, uh, what are some of these like little requirements for a claim to proceed, uh, to adjudication decisioning? I know there's some particular kind of pre-check things that you're looking for. What, what are some of those things? Uh, might I start by saying that was a perfect summary of the usefulness of AI, and it seems like you really understand that it's not a yes or no, like you were just saying. There are certain steps that the machines go through to decide, does this proceed? So to answer your question, pre-checks, when it comes to crowns, for instance, it may be dependent on the payer. Is there a PA? 
or does that um, pair only require a byte wing, some type of image? But the computer will check and say, okay, we have an image, is it a PA, and allow that to proceed. If not, there would be some type of pend request or information request sent to the provider saying that we need a diagnostic PA in order to proceed with the adjudication decision. Specifically, when it comes to uh, scaling and route planning benefits, just like you were talking about, you might not have the most diagnostic um, PA, you might have foreshortening. That's what I would see a lot. We needed to have images that clearly depicted the bone and the bone level because that's what we're looking at and that's what the machine is trying to assess is their bone loss so we need to see the osseous crest and a lot of times if there's that foreshortening or angling it looks like the cej could be below um, the the crest of bone and it throws off the models and we have to kind of stop the adjudication process and say this has to go to a human or we need better diagnostic information and then dates of images things like that where what would be set in the pre-checks before this claim could actually have any type of determination made on it and you were saying really the the bone loss that's that's showing radiographically kind of is has more weight to it even than the probing depths that are being sent in or, or things like that. Cause you're seeing true clinical attachment loss, not just potential pseudopocketing or something that may be uh, subjective based upon, you know, a clinical opinion, you know, uh, this is, this is the proof is in the pudding. It's very hard to argue with a good diagnostic quality image of that particular patient. You're exactly right. And there's so much variability to perioprobing. Even the uh, the single practitioner can have, um, I think it's a millimeter or two millimeters of variance in their own perioprobing. So we're really looking for that radiographic evidence of bone loss and not necessarily documentation of tissue inflammation. Right. Absolutely. And if you're now, when you were back to when you were talking about, uh, you know, some of these pre-check requirements, you said, you know, if it's a uh, you're looking for a PA or is the AI trained to make sure that there's enough, you know, periapical area that's showing that you're not clipping the tip, uh, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. Is this, is it, is it trained to look for that kind of thing? And, and how, how do you, uh, how are those models trained to identify different services and different, uh, uh, you know, what to look for on the radiographs and things like that? How does it all work? The AI is scary how good it can be. And I'm actually very passionate about that, capturing the apex and all of the tissue around the apex because it wasn't something when I was working in AI that we had embedded in those if statement, if then statements and rules. And I had a lot of clients that were saying, well, it's not a PA because the apex of the tooth was clipped and we can't actually evaluate the periapical tissue. It was just a PA sensor was used and it was a poor quality periapical attempt, we'll call it. So I had worked with the engineers because whenever they are training these models, there are um, annotators that will go in and they will highlight all the parts of the tooth and say, this is the crown, this is the enamel. They will have hundreds of key points around a crown, around the bone, and they're actually identifying it and teaching the models, this is what to look for. And then the models with the supervised learning start to learn it on their own. And then that's how we're able to identify something different from normal. And then we do audits and we say, okay, 
decay. It was a little too aggressive. That's actually not decay. That's um, related to a poor quality x-ray. We'll look at the actual amount of pixels in the x-ray and say, at what level of confidence do, at what pixels do we have a level of confidence that we feel comfortable with saying that this assessment and detection is actually accurate. So there's a lot of supervision over the models to be training them and retraining them, but it's amazing. We were working on a periapical pathology uh, model and the amount of periapical pathology that was picked up through the machine learning algorithms was far more than what ended on a Salone were identifying. So it's wow. that these models are getting. Yeah, that's phenomenal. The, you know, so as an adjunctive to the normal diagnostics uh, that a dentist will do that have been done, you know, looking, we've, we've come leaps and bounds from the days when we were looking at a very small, uh, you know, one inch by whatever size a PA is piece of film uh, that was quite small under magnification to then the point where we can blow this thing up on a computer screen and really look at imaging. And now we have computers that are actually analyzing those images to the point where it can better oftentimes detect uh, decay or periapical pathology and things like that than the human eye. And so while ultimately the decision comes down to the provider as to what their, their diagnosis is, these adjunctive uh, modalities are just huge for our ability to assess and to properly diagnose uh, pathology in all forms. So it's it's amazing what all uh, it can be done. As an aside, and when you were talking about uh, the PA, you know, it's not really a PA unless it gets the, the uh, periapical image. That's one of the reasons that ADA recently changed the verbiage associated with the D0210. Yes. which is the FMX, you know, the comprehensive oral uh, full mouth series code. Um, they actually changed the descriptor, took off how many yes. pictures you needed to take, which is kind of irrelevant. It's however many you need, but it, do, it does say it has to have the crowns of the teeth and roots of the teeth, periapical areas. And so that's, that's an, a necessary part of being able to call it comprehensive. It's got to have uh, interproximal areas, which is clear, no overlapping uh, uh, tooth structure, and even uh, alveolar bone, including edentulous areas. So if you guys are not taking PAs in areas where teeth have been extracted, then you're not truly doing a comprehensive uh, FMX according to the ADA's definition. So be sure that you're adding that in. That was a change that just happened this previous year. And uh, and I think it's good. They're looking for periapical pathology, anything that might've been uh, left behind. And so this is residual lesions uh, after an extraction, maybe years down the road. But if you're not getting a picture of just everything in the jaw, it's not truly comprehensive. So that was an aside, but we're kind of getting back into this now. So uh, just how accurate are uh, these AI at, at looking for specific things. And uh, do you have any level of, of uh, idea about that? So actually, when you were talking about the advent of how we're able to have an image and blow it up and really look at the fine detail, it made me think of mailroom images and how we can still apply AI to mailroom images when they're scanned in and they're sent over to these various applications. They won't be as accurate. The best AI detection is going to be on 
x-rays of high quality, high clarity that capture all the landmarks. But it was still impressive what we could actually do with mailroom attachments that were sent wow. in. Now, I don't know how accurate the actual models are anymore. I, I will say that when I was in artificial intelligence, I was appalled at first when I had heard that our reviews were about 85% accurate. That seemed low to me. But then when we actually evaluated payers and found out that clinical claim reviewers were only 60% accurate in accordance with what the payer was wow. looking for. Yeah, that's, that's a big number. <laughs> that's a substantial um, increase because I did do uh, quality control for clinical claim reviewers and you get a lot of a lot of claims to review a day. And sometimes you're just plowing through these and there's oversight or there's a little NEA number scribbled down in box 35 somewhere, but not a true attachment. And there's oversight and things are overlooked. So the AI is actually very, very accurate when it's compared to the claim reviewer. It's never going to be 100% accurate, but there's talk about that real-time adjudication where there's images acquired in the dental practice right in the chair and sent right away to the insurance company, all using the AI to identify what is an area of concern for the patient in the chair and then sending it right over to the insurance company so there can be real-time adjudication. So wow. we have to remember that humans, there are errors. There will be with machines as well, but I have seen some pretty impressive attempts at saying, this is not normal. This may be a root canal, and I'm saying not a root canal, but they're identifying that there's something abnormal. So there's still room for improvement, like with everything that we do, but overall accuracy, much better than a human actually reviewing it. And Absolutely. Fast. AI doesn't get tired by the end of the day. Yes. You know, that's, uh, so yeah, I can, I can absolutely see that where, you know, you may be overlooking things if it's just human eyes, but if it's, you know, being scanned, then, uh, then that's, that's not missing anything. It's picking up on everything. It's phenomenal. Even I'm, I'm amazed at, you know, my iPhone right now, I can go into my, my photos app and I can type a word and it will search the thousands of photographs that I have stored on there and find little tiny instances where this appeared on a menu or on a, on a, you know, whatever it's, it's incredible what it can search for just in text like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's just kind of a example that we're carrying around in our pocket. These are very specific machines that are looking for uh, particular things on these dental claims. And it's, they're well designed to do this and it's just getting better and better as the technology uh, improves. So that's phenomenal. And uh, I know that there's a big future uh, for AI and dentistry, both on the payer side and on the practitioner side, you know, being able to use this diagnostically within your own practice is a, a, a big step and, and one day uh, may become the standard of care. So it's not possibly there yet. It's kind of uh, a new, a newer thing, but uh, I could see that happening at some point along in the future. It's so exciting what, what technology can do and with all the, the futuring with these products. Absolutely. If there's one thing about dentistry, it's, it's, you know, just stick around for five minutes and there's something new I know. Uh, all the time. There's new, new products, new technologies, new, uh, and it could be 
something electronic like this or some new procedure that's being able to be offered to our patients. And, and so that's one of the exciting things that I enjoyed about dentistry was there was constant learning, constant change, constant improvement. Nothing stays the same. And so uh, it is an exciting variance there uh, in our profession. And I, I, I enjoy that aspect of it. And there's constant excitement too, just Absolutely. like Absolutely. I'm I'm thrilled over some things that I've kind of gotten wind of some uh, new technologies that are coming down the pike. We we get to we get the pleasure due to our our coding things. We have a lot of companies that reach out to us with their newer products and they're saying, you know, how are we going to code for this? How should we work this up as a, you know, as a one sheet or whatever to help our help our people? So we get kind of a little uh, I can't even talk about it all, but some an idea, a glimpse of some of the things that are coming. And it just, it's so exciting. It's, it's amazing the changes that are happening within our profession. It's that variety we were talking about earlier. You Absolutely. And I- variety yeah. is the spice of life. And it, uh, uh, it does make a big difference that you're not doing the same thing all day long. So uh, even within the specialty practices, that's one thing I enjoyed about being a GP is I got to do a lot of different things, but even within the specialty practices, they are seeing, uh, a whole new bunch of changes that are coming uh, in each one of their individual specialties that kind of keep it fresh and exciting. So, um, well, wonderful talking to you today. Um, you now, you are currently working down as the director of specialty services at Apex Dental Partners. What are you, you want to tell me a little bit about what you're doing in that role? It's so funny that you were talking about specialty because I was saying that's just such a a perfect way of segueing into what I'm doing now. But yes, I fell upon this role where specialty services were being um, integrated into the dental support organization practices. It's a huge dental support organization and it's very private practice feel, patient centric, um, GP centric. Absolutely love it. So I'm working with our specialists, so our endodontists, our periodontists, or oral surgeons, making sure they feel supported, um, getting process in place for them because traveling specialty can be hard. But if we integrate into the offices and have great communication with the offices and streamlined scheduling protocols, everyone wins at the end of the day because it's just amazing to have all of this delivered in our offices for our patients so they don't have to go elsewhere. And actually this specific dental um, support organization is leveraging AI and I love that we're doing that because it is going to become the standard of care. And I love the feedback we've been getting from piloting uh, the use of it and the feedback we're getting from the patients. Well, that's fantastic. And they are lucky as a company to have somebody with your background and your experience uh, to, to, to head that up. So phenomenal it's been a real pleasure speaking with you today and uh i hope you guys join us on the uh the the next episode we're going to be bringing things out about uh once a month and and presenting some some new uh podcasts for you some new content with different uh uh guests and sometimes with just me if you can put up with me just blabbing for 20 minutes i'll hopefully teach you about something that maybe you didn't know so uh, thank you so much for joining us today. And Dominique, it's been a pleasure. Hope to have you back. We'll probably be, be talking off and on in the, in the near future. You've got so many other areas that uh, you have expertise in, and I would love to pick your brain at a future episode. Oh, this was an absolute pleasure. So not a problem at all. Thank you so much. And we'll speak to you next time. Okay. Bye now. Thank you. Bye-bye. 
this podcast is brought to you by Practice Booster, an e-assist publishing company. To learn more, visit dentalcodeadvisor.com.